You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. Good morning. I'm Wanda Hendricks, and I just want you to know that uh, I consider it an honor, a privilege, and a freedom to read God's Word before you, to speak His truth before you. And so today's reading, we're going to be reading from Jonah 1, 17, 2 through 10. So would you please stand for the reading? And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows washed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me, and weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. And I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay, and salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Ah, it's great to see you. Thank you for being here as we get back into the book of Jonah in our series about a surrendered heart today. Uh, last week, Nathan did an amazing job on Father's Day. Reba and I got to spend Father's Day with our youngest son, Grayson, in Pensacola, Florida. And uh, you say, well, wow, you got to go to the beach. That's wonderful. Yeah, but while we're at the beach, it rained every day, right? Have you ever had those beach days? Have you? Yes, one day in four hours, it rained 12 inches. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, the t- the, the, actually the time before this trip that we went to Pensacola, it was uh, 32 degrees. So there you go. We just can't get it right. But, you know, that's, that's just the way it goes, right? So we had a great time. But I'm looking forward to sharing with you today back into the series of the book of Jonah. Today, lessons from the gut of the great fish. So here's what I've learned about life. Life is a learning curve. You know, we say that all the time. Life is about lessons to learn and about lessons to teach as well. And so life is a learning curve. So as a grandfather, what I've realized is that I have also become a student again as well. My teacher being that of my 11-year-old granddaughter, Emma. And so when we go to uh, Atlanta to visit Emma and Abigail, Abigail is five, Emma Emma is 11, that um, I've discovered that one, that what 11-year-old girls love to do is shop, right? That's what they love to do. Well, if you were to make the top three things of the things that Mark likes, dislikes the most, 
then that list of dislikes would be probably number two, shopping, I think, right? And so I do that because I'm a grandfather and I love to be with her. Well, we divide up, and so Reba usually goes with Abigail, the five-year-old, and I I go with Emma, the 11-year-old. And so I've learned a lot of things. And one thing I've learned is I know nothing about fashion when it comes to girls that are 11 years old. I don't. So Emma holds up these pairs of shorts, and she says, Papa, what do you think about these? And my first response was what? They're way too short, is what I said. Yeah, yes, way too short. And she said, you're just old, is what she said to me, right? Because you don't understand, I guess. Well, I've learned that I don't understand fashion when it comes to an 11-year-old. And then also her music taste, well, it's very different from mine. And I don't quite understand all of that as well. And then technology. Technology, she knows so much more than I do about that. And so she takes my phone, she arranges all of my apps, and now I can't find anything on my phone, right? I can't find anything. And she FaceTimes people using my phone as well, and they think it's me calling them, correct? And so I've learned a lot of things from my granddaughter, Emma. What I understand when reading through the book of Jonah, it is a book of lessons. It is a book of life lessons for you and I, four short chapters, but just chock full of these amazing things that God is speaking to us about how do we live life and how we live life in obedience to God. And so what I realized that that it is a powerful story, so powerful that Jesus took a moment in the book of Matthew to talk about Jonah and his experience in the belly of the great fish. Can I read that text to you as we start with the gospel of Matthew this morning and chapter 12? It says this, but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So I wonder then, so what is the sign of the prophet Jonah? So he tells us, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, and look at these last words that Jesus says, something greater than Jonah is here. And so what I realize is that what Christ is doing, he's chaining history together And so what I understand about all of this is that when he refers to the sign of Jonah, it is actually a sign of that, of that of Christ's death, his burial and his resurrection is what he's doing. And when he says something greater than Jonah is here, he's talking about himself, that the sign of Jonah is standing before you is what he is saying to those he's speaking to in Matthew chapter 12. And he's speaking of him being the Christ, the incarnate Christ, God wrapped in flesh. And so when I look at this in the book of Matthew and I look at Jonah chapter two, specifically today, what I realize about life is that nothing is random as we seem to think it is. Nothing is as random as we seem to think it is at times in our lives. Because when we look at our life and we think, man, our life is crazy right now and the world has just lost its mind is what we think. That when I look back to the book of Matthew and then that of the book of Jonah, What I understand is that for hundreds of years before the incarnate Christ came into this world, God was forming his plan through the seemingly random events of this reluctant prophet that we call Jonah. God is chaining all of history together. 
So even in these events that we have studied thus far in two chapters that we have read about anyway, that what I understand is that even Jonah in his reluctancy to obey God, even Jonah in his disobedience with God, God's will was not being overturned. No, it was not being overturned. That God was working out his will as Jonah ran in the wrong direction from God. Things are never as random as they might appear within our life. They're not. Not to a sovereign and a providential God. No. So, (coughs) excuse me, as we have said before, that this is not a narrative about Jonah. Jonah is a supporting actor in this narrative. This is a powerful narrative about God himself and the character and the nature of God, his love and his mercy toward you and I, and how God deals with spiritual runners is what this is about. Because when we look at this thing and understand that God is sovereign and providential, that nothing is random in our life as a believer, then what I realize is that God never stands back with his arms folded within our lives. That even when we're down in Joppa, buying a ticket for the wrong boat, going in the wrong direction, that God is lovingly and mercifully working in that prophet's life. And he's doing the same in your life. There is Always meaning for our life. There's always meaning for our life. God is always at work in our lives. And chapter 2 reiterates that amazing truth to you and I today. But to give context, let me read verse 17 of chapter 1. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here is the thing, and just to kind of bring you up to date on where Jonah is. Jonah has been given this mandate by God. The mandate from God is that he is to go to Nineveh and he is preached to the Ninevites. He is to call out their sin is the words that God uses. But we know that the Ninevites are perhaps the most evil and cruelest people on the planet at that very moment. And they dislike everyone around them other than that of their fellow Assyrians. But yet The ones that they dislike the most are Israel or the Jews. So this is the why that he doesn't want to go to them. You know, you say, well, he has pretty good reason to do that. Right. And so we think, well, this reluctant prophet, he's still a prophet, but he says no to God. He says no to God. So you say, Mark, you know, I've never really ever said no to God. Well, let me ask you a question then. Have you ever been? disobedient to God? Have you ever done something that was considered disobedience to God? Then if you have done that, then you have said no to God. So I think that kind of levels the ground. So first service, we did a little survey. You know me, right? I always, this is a participatory kind of room. And so I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in your life at any moment disobedient to God? Raise your hand if you've ever been disobedient to God. Good. Well, then you've said no to God in your life is what you've done, right? Now, if you're around someone that did not raise their hand, well, one of two things. They either didn't understand the question or that we're entertaining angels unaware today, right? Yes, yes. And can I tell you, angels are subject to falling themselves. So don't get like all prideful if you're here. So understand that. But yet 
what I realize is we have all had this moment where we've said no to God. But here's what Jonah does. Jonah is a person of action, so he takes some action. And he goes down to Joppa. He buys this ticket to go on the wrong boat in the opposite direction to the city of Tarshish. And Tarshish at that time was considered to be at the very edge of the earth. So sailors would not go far past Tarshish or they felt like that they would fall off of the earth, off of the edge of the earth. So he went as far as he could running from God. And so I realized the humanity of this powerful story. That if you're not going to surrender, and this is part of ourselves as our humanity, if you're not going to surrender, then you will run from that which is calling for your surrender. You're going to retreat. You're either going to surrender or you're going to retreat from those things that are calling for your surrender. Yes, but you say, but Mark, you know, come on. I like Jesus. You know, I like the things that Jesus says in the Bible. I like his philosophy about life. He's really spot on. He really is. I like the things that he says about loving your neighbor as yourself. I think that makes for a better world in which we live, that more blessed to give than to receive. I love the inclusion of Jesus and all of his friends that you find throughout the gospels. I love this. I love the advice that he gives. I look at Jesus like he is this big celestial life coach for me, you know? And that's what I think about him. And he's all about making my life better. Now I want to do some work for a moment in this area and this way of thinking. I want to say this to you, and it's this, that Jesus is not your advisor and he's not your life coach. He is your king. Understand that. I think we have to start there in understanding God's intentions for our lives, that he is your king and he is your Lord. He refuses any other position in your life. Understand that you may start this journey out with divided allegiance to God. And I understand that wherever you are in your walk with God. And then you may have those Jonah moments, right? You may have those moments where you have throughout your journey, those moments of divided allegiance to God, where you find yourself in disobedience and you're saying no to God when God has spoken his will to your life. And so we have those moments. But what I do understand about God is that God's will will not allow you to remain there. Understand that's not God's will for your life to live there forever. It's not that way at all because God lovingly will not settle for that on your behalf. So here's what God will do as he does in Jonah and the book of Jonah for Jonah, that God will create a great fish for your life. He will. Because Exodus chapter 20 tells us something about the nature of God. And that is God is jealous for you. And what that means is God is not willing to share you. And God is not willing to just place some, take some secondary uh, position in your life. He doesn't want to just be your advisor or your counselor or to even, you know, uh, speak some great philosophy into your life. He is your king and he is your Lord. Understand that. And that's the position that he demands within your life. So what I realize is that when you take the book of Matthew chapter 12 and Jonah, then you see that God is chaining all of history together is what he is doing. 
What does that say to you and I? That God is so laser focused for you and I on you having a surrendered relationship with him that he would send a great fish in the life of Jonah. And for you and I, that he would send God wrapped in flesh and that his son, Jesus Christ. That's how much this means to him. In the book of Jonah, God's love is revealed through a great fish. In the gospels, then God's love is revealed through that of the God, man, Christ Jesus for you and I. So what is happening to Jonah is not meanness, but it's mercy. It's mercy. So I think you should take that thought and lay that over your life because maybe you're in a place of struggle today. Maybe you're in a place that you're really, you know, in a place saying, oh, man, my life could just not be any worse than what it is right now. And so, you know, you're blaming God and you're, you're in this place and, and maybe you should step back and say, Well, maybe this is not meanness, but this is mercy because God is working in the middle of this because what God is not doing, God is not paying Jonah back for his sins. That's not what God is doing at all. Jonah is bringing, or God is bringing Jonah back from his sin. That's what he's doing. God is serious about our complete surrender to him and God will get your attention. I want you to hear that. That God will get your attention. Oh, Mark, it's going to be one of those kinds of sermons, huh? No, just hang on for a moment. Don't check out yet, you know? And listen to what God is saying to you today. So here's a couple of thoughts. The first being this. Remember God because he never forgets you. Remember God because he never forgets you. Because sometimes guilt in our life for the things that we have done in those moments of disobedience, we hesitate to call on God, that sin makes us ashamed at times, we hide from God. These drastic situations like in the book of Jonah cause us to to forget God or to run from God. And then all of a sudden Jonah has this moment where, where the clouds kind of part within his life, right? He has this moment where he, he remembers God. He's wise enough to recall who God is because that's really all he has is that he knows who God is and he knows that God is loving and merciful and kind. So recall, he recalls what he knows about God. That's why so many times in our teachings here, we say to you that the most important thing that you can understand is the character and the nature of God because there will be times in your life that that's all that you have to hang on to and that's where Jonah is he finds himself confined in the belly of this great fish he does and there's no way out and there's nothing else to turn to so what does he do he remembers God he knows God has not forgotten him but he remembers God because that's all he has he's a prophet If you go back to the moment when he's asleep on the boat just before he's thrown over by those pagan sailors, if you go back to the moment where they come and awake him and they ask him who he is, where he's from, that he gives them this theological statement about who he is in God and who God is. So he understands God. There's no lack of of theological understanding on the part of Jonah. It's not there. So he understands God greatly. So in this moment, in this place where he finds himself, where there's no other place to go, he recalls the character and the nature of God is what he does. But it's because he's tried running. He has every reason to be ashamed of his behavior. Sure, every reason to be spiritually evasive with God 
Yet he stops and he recalls the things that he knows about God because that's all that he has in that moment of his life. That moment when you know you've been wrong, right? That's what this is. That if you, that if you see God as just punitive in those moments, then you're going to be evasive and you're going to be reluctant to come to God and you're going to run from God at those moments. In this narrative, God in his love and in his great discipline for Jonah, God positions himself to where there's no other place for Jonah to run but to God, to recall the things that God knows are true, Jonah knows are true about God, and he can't run, so he turns to God. It's a good thing to know when to surrender in our life. It is a good thing to know that. And so what God will do in his love for you and I, because of him being the good father, then he will allow us to find ourselves in this world in positions where we can only turn to him. You say, Mark, that's not the message I came for today. But that's where I am in the book of Jonah. So I have no choice but to give it to you, right? And that's true. This is what God does in our life. Because God loves you. Understand that. Paint this this narrative with the brush of God's grace and God's great love for you and I in this room that he loves us enough to create a great fish that puts us in a situation where it's the proper moment for us to surrender to him because it's truly the antidote that breaks the grip of pride in our life. Jonah remembers God. God never forgot Jonah. Never. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. So let me set this up for you for a moment because I think it's important. You say, Mark, you know, maybe you grew up in church and you know the story. Well, hang on for a moment. Maybe you have never heard this story before. So listen as well. Three days in the belly of this great fish. Not a well, but a great fish. God specifically creates this, this animal for Jonah at that moment of his life. So I thought, well, you know, what is it like in the belly of a great fish? So I began to research. And so I, you know, I had, I had the information on a whale. In the average whale, the interior temperature of an average whale's stomach is 115 degrees. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You say, Mark, that's like a, an August day in South Carolina, right? It is, right? Yes. Even with the humidity that you would experience, it, it surely would be. I experienced 113 degrees in the desert in Moab last year, and I know what that feels like. So I can't imagine in there with the humidity. And, and contrary to our imagination, that Jonah is not sitting at a table with a little candle lit inside the stomach of this great fish reading a book. That's Disney hijacking God's story, okay? So that's not it at all, no. But if you read the prayer, he's confined. That means that, in my opinion, for whatever it might be worth, Jonah can't move. He is wrapped in the belly of this great fish. For those of you that are claustrophobic, you just broke out in a sweat. Did you not? Yeah. So he, he's confined. He's unable to move. It's darkness all around him. There is no light. And the smell. I thought, how could I describe the smell to you of the inside of the great fish? So here is my attempt to do that. The inside of the great fish smells like a porta john on a hot, steamy July day that has been used by hundreds of people just outside of a Taco Bell. 
think about it. They don't call it taco hell for nothing, right? So true. Yes. Yes. Now, some of you have got that stench in your nostril right now, don't you? And that's all you're going to ever remember. So try to work past that for a moment. Place yourself in this great fish's belly. And for three days, he's washed over with these gastric juices. For three days. That's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's true. And he didn't have to even pay for his hair to be bleached. I mean, look, you can imagine, right? What he looked like when he came out. Yes, And you sit there and think that God cannot get your attention? Really? Really? I mean, read the story again. You just don't understand the vastness of God's love for you if you think that God cannot get your attention. And you don't understand how God despises the sin and the rebellion of our lives because it harms us. Because he is the good father who loves us and wants best for us and has always has the best intentions for us as well. He's for us and not against us. So you don't understand God in that light as well. And, and when I read this, I realize God loves us to the extent and will get our attention to the extent that he will able to perform a miracle, that he creates a great fish that enables, that is enabled to swallow Jonah. But not just that, but the miracle is that he's able to sustain Jonah's life inside the fish for three long days. And then not only that, but he's able to speak to the fish and the fish vomits Jonah up on dry land because reluctant prophets can leave a bad taste in your mouth. Well, I think there's more to it than that. Never doubt how God feels about you. Because this is not a story about Jonah. This is a story about God. This is about how God never forgets his disobedient runners in life. He never forgets us. Don't forget him. Don't forget him. So I couldn't get away from verse one. You know, so Mark, you're 23 minutes in the sermon. You're still on verse one. I know, but I just could not get away from it because verse one, I go back to it says then. And I underlined the word then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Here is the thought. Conditional surrender is not surrender at all. It's not. Think about it. Conditional surrender is not surrender at all. Yes, God, God, I love it because God does not neglect this narrative of that of the human element. He, he does not. Because Jonah, if you read it, Jonah has been in the great fish three days before he ever prays. He's been hanging out, confined, washed over, living in a port john for three long days. And it says, and then Jonah prays. And I thought about this about his life. That what you have is you have three long days of Jonah's stubbornness and three days of God's loving patience being played out in Jonah's life. This is the depth of Jonah's struggle with God and the vastness of God's love for us, even in our rebellion. Wow. Mm. You say, but why didn't Jonah go, right? Why didn't Jonah knows God? He is a prophet. So why didn't Jonah just go from the beginning? One teacher said that God asking Jonah to go to the Ninevites was like asking a Jewish person in 1942 to go to Berlin and preach love and kindness and mercy and forgiveness to the Nazis. It's the same thought. That's what they said. Because Jonah is in this dilemma 
that one or two things are going to happen when he goes to Nineveh, right? One, that they're going to reject God's message that he's going to preach. And then they're going to do what Ninevites do best. They're going to skin him alive. They're going to bury him in the desert with his head sticking above the sand. They're going to pull his tongue out, stake his tongue in the ground. And they're going to sit around and watch him while he's thirst to death. Mom. Or the other thing that could happen was that he would go and he would preach God's word, call their sin out, and they would repent, and then God would be merciful on him. Here's the thing about Jonah. Jonah didn't want either one of those. He did not want either one of those. It's like, okay, God, there's A and B. Can you give me C? You know, kind of thing. If you've ever tried to make a deal with God, and that's kind of what it was. And so he didn't want either one of those. So he finds himself stuck in the middle of all of that. But he's a prophet. We know he knows God, the things that he said to the sailors on the ship just before they throw him overboard. And when I put all that together, what I realize is that Jonah is willing to obey God up to a point that that obedience touches who he is in his very own heart. Listen. He's saying obedience is fine. I mean, he knows God. Obedience is fine, but don't let that obedience touch my hatred for the Ninevites. Because God, they don't deserve your love because look what they have done to so many cultures. And you might say, well, maybe Jonah is right. Maybe Jonah has something there. So here's what I want you to ask yourself. It's a sentence. And I left a line in your notes this morning for you to fill that in if you have them or you can just do that in your own heart. God, I'll obey you in every area of my life except. What is the except for you? What is the except for you in your life? You know, what is that area where you say, God, I'll obey you in everything. God, I will let you in all these spaces in my heart, in my life. But this one area, God, you're not going there. You know, God, I'm just not going to let you there, but you can have everything else. What does that look like for you? Because I want to tell you, if I take the story of Jonah and lay that over our lives, what I realize that that looks like confinement is what that looks like. That looks like confinement. That I'm not free when I find myself running from God. That I'm not free when I find myself, excuse me, living in partial obedience to God within my life. I'm not free when I'm making these deals with God saying, God, I'll give you this, but not this area of my life. And I'm not surrendering that to you. And what I realize it, it is confinement when I lack surrender in my life. It's like living inside of a great fish. God, I'll give you everything but this relationship. No, no, you can't have that God. That, God, I'll give you everything but my money because, God, that's where I find my security in life. So you can have everything but that, Lord, in my life. God, you want me to love them? Lord, don't you know what they've done to me? God, you've called me to do what? No. Everything else but that. So I was was 12 years old. I was 12 years old. When God called me to preach, to minister. Oh, man. I can remember it vividly. I really can. I I can remember that God wrote it in the clouds. No, that's not how it happened at all. No. 
Mm -mm. That I was at youth camp, you know, and I was down front praying. I was raised most of my life in Hawaii so that, that I can remember where it was and I can see the building today. And I can remember just the voice of God in my life, not an audible voice, but God called me to ministry. God called me to, to preach. And, and so, you know, I got up from there and the first thing as I did is I looked up at God and I said, no, that's what I said. I said, no. Yeah, I said no and walked away because I thought, well, that would be it. Right. And I said, no. Yes. Well, as I as I, you know, matured in years and I communicate with God a little more then I would always I would always qualify the no. And I would say things to God like, God, do you know me? I, let me tell you some things about who I am personally, God, that I'm a very shy individual. And so I'm the guy that when I'm walking down the street, you know, and the, somebody's coming uh, uh, in front of me that knows me, I will find an excuse to go to the other side of the road so I don't have to talk to them because I was extremely shy. And God, you can never ask me to get up and do what I'm doing right now. And so God, here's all the reasons that I won't do that. And, and God also that, you know, God, man, I've been raised in church and I don't like church people because church people can be a bunch of Ninevites. They really can. Yes. Right. And so, God, I don't want to deal with that. And so I gave God for almost 10 years every excuse that I could find. And I was the most miserable teenager that you would ever come across. And I made everyone around me miserable as well. And so what I realized is that when you live that kind of life out of surrender to God, then what it is is confinement. Even when you think you are free from the responsibility of what God is saying for you to do, you are actually in spiritual bondage and confinement is where you are. So where is the line that you have drawn with God in your life? Where's that line? I think that's something you should think through today. Jonah's a prophet in every sense of the word. He is, but yet he's this reluctant prophet that says, God, I will surrender to you only to an extent in my life. And that's it. I draw the line. What does that look like for you? So he prays, doesn't he? Verse 2. Saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around me at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Again, very poetic language, just like the book of Psalms as well, but yet describing this actual physical event in his life. And when I stopped at that moment in this text, what I realized is that Jonah had no idea whether God was going to to save him or not. He did not know that because he writes this outside of that, of the belly, the belly, yet you brought up my heart from the pit, oh Lord, my God. So he had no idea that if God would save him or leave him in 
the belly of the great fish forever. You see, these words are not formed in in a conference that he attended. Absolutely not. They're formed in that of the slimy gut of a great fish is where they are. And when Jonah prays this prayer, there's there's no prospect for miraculous escape. There's not. Yet Jonah still has this amazing confidence in God that God would not forsake him. Even if he dies, that God would not forsake him is what he's saying. Jonah still looks at the very goodness of God. And what I realize is that good people or God-loving people find themselves in the gut of a great fish at some point in their life. Don't let your religious pride this morning blind you into thinking that you can strike a deal with God. You cannot strike a deal with God. The only terms of surrender accepted by God is complete surrender in your life. And that's a journey. I realize that it is that dirt road of sanctification that you and I walk. So it is a journey, but it has to start somewhere and it starts where Jonah started and that is that he remembered God it starts with me understanding that God does love me and that God cares for me and the things that God has started in my life God is going to finish understand that because God is for me and it starts with remembering God so if you're on a journey to surrender this morning and you don't know where to begin begin with that of the understanding of God that God does love you and care for you he is merciful in your life and he does love you enough to send a great fish in your life he does verse 7 and when my life was fading or fainting away i remembered the lord this is where he starts and my prayer came to you unto your holy temple those who pray those who pay regard to vain idols he says forsake their hope of steadfastness so i have to take it a step further you in your journey of surrender to God because it's just more than just remembering God it's more than just recounting who God is but there has to be the forsaking piece as well that you can't do one without the other that's incomplete that you're going to remember God yes but there has to be this moment where you forsake your sins and forsake your dis your disobedience to God and so I wrote this week that all sin in my life begins with idolatry All sin begins with idolatry. And I said, I will give you just a short definition of what that idolatry means. It's what I love and want more than I love and want God. It's those things within my life is what it is. He said, but wait a minute, Jonah's a prophet. He doesn't have any golden statues in his life. No, but he does have some idols. And one of them is his hatred toward the Ninevites is what it is. And really, but there is a, I think there's a root to that disobedience in his life. And that is that he actually thinks that he knows more than God knows because God says, I want the Ninevites to have mercy and redemption. And Jonah says, no, really what they need, they need your judgment, God. And so I'm not going to go and tell them that they can have your mercy because he knows more than God knows. Have you ever been there? Most of us have at some point in our life. We have been there. It's the old sin of Adam and Eve from the garden that we become our own idol because we know what's best for ourselves, not the will of God, but what we think is the best for ourselves. So what do I do? Real quick, three lessons 
from the gut of the great fish. Here they are. The first lesson is this. God's commands should never be taken lightly. Simple, but yet the message of the book of Jonah, that God is loving, but God is not indifferent. Understand that. That God is loving, but God is not indifferent to your disobedience. God will never fold his hands, stand back, and just let you stew in your own juices. God will intervene within your life. God's commands should never be taken lightly. And to ignore God's commands in your life is to invite his discipline. Lesson number two. The easiest way to follow God is to obey his word right away. Could you imagine if Jonah had just said yes to God? Things would have been so different. It would have that God's words are the clearest plan for our lives. They are. It's how to avoid the belly of the great fish. The easiest way to follow God is to obey his words right away. The third lesson is this. God does not give up on us easily, even in our sins. He's constantly drawing us to repentance and to renewal within our lives. God does not give up on us easily, even when we are running from him. And God does not hold grudges when we repent. No, his love is pure, but his love is not petty in our life. And so he never holds grudges with you and I when we return to him. Verse 9. And I could end now, but if I don't cover verse 9 and 10 with you, then you've missed a huge part of what is being said to us. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And I underline this next part. What I have vowed, I will pay. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Last thought. Praying by itself is not enough. What if I just quit there? You know, just let you hang, right? Praying by itself is not enough. You're going to leave confused. Don't give me a moment to give you some context about that statement. Because I think sometimes we come to God in our moments of disobedience and we say, God, I prayed, you know, so I feel better about this whole thing, right? And, and, and I would say to you, is this about you feeling better Or is this about you turning from your disobedience to God? Because look at Jonah's prayer. I think it's interesting that it is after Jonah's pledge to God to obey God's original call upon his life that the fish spits him out. Think about that. So if it would have taken four days, would he have been there four days, perhaps? Would it have taken seven? Would he have left him there seven, perhaps? But it's only after Jonah pledges to go back to the place in his life where he said no to God and say yes, that the fish spews him out. Now, Let me dispel a dangerous thought for you this morning. Because if you're having the thought, well, if I do this, then God will love me more. That's not what this is about. Because that's trying to earn something for God that he has already freely given you. And that is his love and acceptance as his child. 
So this is not about God loving you more. This is about you living in a place of obedience and serving him through love that motivates that kind of behavior in your life, not fear. So I thought about this last statement in this prayer of Jonah, what I have vowed I will pay. Because I noticed that after he prays, it's not that God says, you know, God doesn't say to Jonah, Jonah, I've missed you, man. You've been away from me for a while. Welcome back. So glad you were here. Hey, that whole Ninevite thing. Don't worry about that, man. We're cool with that. I'll send somebody else. Don't you worry about that. Those people are crazy anyway. And, you know, and, and you're going to be okay. That's not what happens at all. No. You see, the way that I dealt with God those 10 years almost that I ran from him and was so miserable in my life is I thought that if I kept putting God off, I would frustrate God to the point that God would relent and God would say, I release you, Mark. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Just, you know, you just love me and pray every once in a while and you're all good. And what I realize is this, even my running and even my disobedience with God does not change the will of God for my life. If it did, then that would make my will greater than God's will. And then we need to stay away from a large portion of the Bible. Because what I understand about this story and how this applies to you and I is that the path to surrender for my life, the path to Repentance for me personally in my running from God was to go back to the place that I said no to God and I said yes. Because even the actions of a reluctant running prophet does not change the sovereign providential will of God. So what's the place in your life? What's the line that you've drawn with God? What is the place where you've said to God, God, you can have everything but not this. And then you can justify as Jonah rightly could have done why he said no you can do the same and why you say no. I want to tell you, as I understand this text and lovingly from my own experience with God, my no never changed the will of God for my life and yours does not either. And you may be sitting here and feeling like you're free But living in disobedience to God is confining. And if you're honest, you will concur with that. So today is about some of you beginning your journey of surrender. 
I could make a long list for you of things that might be that you're not surrendering to God, that God has spoken to you about and you've told God no. But I don't have to do that. You know why? Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And he's already speaking to you. So what do I do? I go back to the place where I said no and I say yes to God. And I start the journey. I start the journey. You see, Mark, I, I, can, I have good reasons. I, I, you probably do. And I did as well. I still tell God sometimes, God, are you sure? After all these years, are you sure? And then he says, Mark, do we really need to go there again? Mm. Yeah, I need to have that conversation, God. So let your journey begin today. Sir, for a moment, can I pray with you and pray for you today? If you just take a posture of prayer, however that looks, those of you who are joining us online, if you do the same and pray with us this morning. To just make a, a, a place in, in your day today to be quiet before God and let him speak to you. And allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the places in your life where you are disobedient. So God, here we are as your kids. Lord, you meet us right where we are in our lives. God, that you love us so greatly that you are willing to chain all of history together to remind us that you are so committed to having all of us, the totality of who we are, that you will send a great fish in our lives at times. And God, we may think that the great fish experience in our life is the absolute worst place we could ever be. But in God, in the reality of it all, it is perhaps the best place we could ever be. Because it's a place where we can turn to none other but you. Because that's how much you love us and care for us. So, Father, today we repent of our disobedience. God, we repent of our running. We back out of those situations and we come back to the place where we said no and we say yes. We say yes. Because, Father, true experience and expulsion from the fish is only found after we submit and surrender to you. So Father, may we hear your voice in our lives. May we confess to you today those areas of unsurrendered places open the doors to all the areas of our heart and life and we invite you in. 
So meet us where we are, God, as you always do. Wherever we are on the journey, God, you meet us there. Thank you, Father. And help us to do more than just remember you today. But help us to forsake those things that harm us. And turn to you. Thank you, Father. In your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week. 